Hello and welcome to this week's of Photographic Life. Um, this week uh, I saw a tweet uh, that was by a photographer who um, follows uh, us on UN of Photo commenting about the fact that um, she was trying to write uh, for a bursary, writing an, an application for a bursary for funding uh, for her work and that due to her dyslexia she'd found the whole situation to be very challenging um, anxiety, stress making, um, that there was an option, um, as part of that, you could also provide a little piece of video or audio. Um, but that also, um, created an, an anxiety within her. And it instantly made me sort of, I suppose, reflect on the fact that I've long, um, understood, uh, dyslexia almost to be, um, uh, what could you describe it as? I suppose a, a very common thing amongst photographers. I've known many photographers who are dyslexic and um, I've been aware of photographers who are dyslexic and also through teaching and lecturing, many of my students um, have been diagnosed with dyslexia. Um, it then made me think, well, well, let's just chuck a poll out there. So I put a quick poll up on Twitter asking the question, you know, as a, a photographer, as a visual creative, um, how many of you are dyslexic and how many aren't? I was slightly surprised by the response um, and the poll, which was just over 100 people, I think, is about 125 people very kindly uh, agreed to do it. So it's not a huge um, survey. But um, anyway, it was 70% uh, said no, they weren't dyslexic and 30% said they were dyslexic. I was actually expecting it to be higher on the yes um, than the no. But even so, that percentage is a high percentage of photographers. It also linked with something I saw a few weeks ago. Um, actually, no, pr probably a couple of months ago. And it was applications for a photographic festival in the UK requiring the uh, photographer who was looking to be part of the festival to complete a one to two thousand word uh, piece of writing which explained why they should um, be considered for the festival. It was an open call, although it had a fee attached to it, so I'm not quite sure how much of an open call that truly is. Um, but that's another discussion for another time. But anyway, um, the expectation was that the visual artist was also going to be able to write this large amount of text in English, um, which also then raises those issues of international contributions when English isn't the first language, raises so many issues outside of dyslexia. But I thought at the time, I'm somebody who, who writes a lot, I'm not actually dyslexic, but, um, or I haven't been diagnosed as being dyslexic. So even though I spend a lot of my time writing, I would still find uh, writing one to 2,000 word for a, that kind of an application process very challenging. Um, and it would certainly take me quite a time to make sure that I got it as right as it could be. Um, and then, of course, I'm going to be judged on that. Not only am I going to be judged on my photographic work, but I'm also going to be judged on my writing skills. Is that fair? Certainly it isn't fair. 
um, from a dyslexic perspective, and it isn't fair if English isn't your um, first language. Can't be fair. However, what this also, all of this brings together is that importance of writing today to a photographer. The fact that writing is increasingly becoming an intrinsic part of a photo, a photographer's practice. It may be writing for a website. It may be um, writing an article, writing a blog, uh, writing applications, applications for jobs, covering letters for jobs. It, the, the, the list goes on and on now. But then again, within writing, what kind of writing are we looking at? Is this academic writing, which is certainly a form of writing known unto itself? Is this writing in the basis of perhaps editorial, in, in mass media writing, perhaps from a, a newspaper, from a journalistic perspective? That's a different kind of writing. Or is it writing for grants and applications and bursaries? That's another kind of writing. So not only is there this requirement now for photographers to write and to be able to convey clearly and accurately exactly what they want to say about their work and why they believe that work to be important. But there's also these sub-genres of writing. And it's rare for anybody to be good at all three of those types of writing. Or even to understand what the expectation or the requirements are of that specific area of writing. I suppose, in a way, where I'm coming to with this is, is it necessary? Is it necessary to have all of this writing to support a body of work? Is it necessary for all of this writing when you are putting work forward for um, a festival where intrinsically you're hoping the work itself will speak for you. This 2,000-word proposal isn't going to be seen by the people who then go to see the work. It's a piece of writing on which you're being judged. And I don't think that is necessary. I think the work should be judged on the work. It shouldn't require the visual artist to become an artist with words. A competency in writing is definitely a necessary skill set, a transferable skill set for today's photographer in whichever area you may be writing in. However, to be judged on that writing cannot be fair. I was talking, I was talking to some people earlier this week in a meeting and they asked me where I stood on moving image. Um, it took me back immediately eight, nine years ago um, maybe it's longer than that now, to the initial launch of the Canon 5D Mark II, the world of convergence, and certainly events that I was part of at that time, I suppose heralding what we thought was a, a new day for photography and for the moving image, for the filmed image. Nine years on, we all are holding in our hands cameras, phones, all of which create moving image as well as stills. But how many of us are actually exploring the creative opportunities that that button uh, that allows the moving image to begin would allow us? 
I think as photographers, we're intrinsically conservative in nature. Um, filmmakers seem to be far more open. This is a, a discussion that I was having, as I say, eight or nine years ago, but I don't think things have changed very much. The people I was talking to about moving image focused on the fact of academic filmmaking. Um, and I was very, I suppose, um, eager to uh, express that actually I feel that where photographers are really exploring the medium of moving image is through the documentary. There is no shortage, or there are no shortage, of films at the moment about photographers. Um, only recently we've had Robert Frank, Edith Tudor Hart, Dorothea Bohm, um, Gary Winogrand, my own film on Bill Jay. These films, um, Cecil Beaton, you know, I could go on and on, actually, and I'm sure there are many, many more um, currently being made that I have no knowledge of. But that that move into the documentary, that narrative of documentary, seems to me to be a, a very exciting area to explore. Of course, they, the people I was talking to were also ignoring the whole movement of fashion film, which is another area which kind of very often slips into the, the contemporary art film market, the film installation. Um, so I'm still hugely excited about moving image, and I'm still hugely excited about the possibilities that it offers photographers. There is no doubt it's a more collaborative process. It um, can be a more frustrating process. It's not nearly as quick, and it's certainly a separate skill to be learnt. But what I would suggest is if you've got the piece of equipment in your hand, which is going to allow you to that explore that area of creativity, why wouldn't you do it? Over the last uh, few weeks and months now, um, we've had a number of photographers contribute to our um, What Does Photography Mean to Me uh, feature. And they've been incredibly thought-provoking, incredibly honest and raw, um, and I really thank everybody who's contributed to that for that, that honesty and that rawness about where they stand with the medium. And if you haven't heard them, I really encourage you to go back through these podcasts and kind of maybe start off cherry picking some of the names you recognize and then start exploring some of the names you don't, because so often they can be the richest in the information that they give us and the inspiration. Um, but this week, I thought we'd have something that's a little bit more fun. So I revisited a telephone conversation that I had with David Bailey uh, many years ago. Uh, I first started, I can't use the phrase working with Bailey because you don't really work with Bailey. You're kind of in the same space and that's kind of about it. But I've, I first started being in the studio with Bailey back in the late 1980s, I think 87, 88, something like that. Um, and then through the 90s, um, I commissioned him to shoot for magazines. Um, so it was great to catch up with him, as I say, a few years ago. I don't think there are many people who are um, as blunt as Bailey is about where he is. And I think he can also be a slightly divisive figure as to how many people take his work seriously. Um, because he kind of does and he kind of doesn't. I, you know, I like Bailey a lot, and he's he's the master of the one-liner. Um, so when I revisited this um, telephone conversation, I thought I'd edit a few pieces together 
Um, unfortunately, his language was very strong. And in the clip you're about to listen to, I must give a warning that there are um, there is some strong language used, hopefully not too offensive to too many people. It's just a tiny little clip that gives you a little bit of insight into David Bailey. If you're not aware of him, if you're not aware of his work, obviously you must go and check him out. If you're not aware of his personality, I think this clip is going to give you an insight to Bailey. Also, as if this was organised, and there's very little about this podcast that's planned or organised, uh, David Bailey um, is dyslexic and often speaks about that very thing. No, but it's true, I only ever use, I vaguely use two lenses. On 35mm I use a 50 or a 35, or if I could, I'd use a 40, but the only 40s are from, there's some old Nikon lenses still around that I use. Mm. And for 120 I just use the normal and maybe a slightly longer one sometimes, but that's the only two lenses I ever use. And really, for you, cameras has never been a major part of it, is it? It's, it's no, no, I have favourite cameras. You know, I like the twin-lens Raleigh 2.8, and I like the Olympus OM-1, and I like the Leica M7. Mm. I mean, they're three cameras that I would prefer to use. At the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference. How you do it, it's just doing it, isn't it? I don't care. I never really cared whether it's painting a photograph or bronze or a anything, or a Cornell box. I mean, they're all interesting. But, but photography has always been the main... The, the, the backbone. Well, it's the quickest. It's like a, it's like if they inv invented Polaroid paint, I would paint more. Yeah. I can't wait for it to dry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nobody fucking knows what I do. They think I do black and white pictures of John Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> even, though, <laughs> even today. Even today. But I'm not comparing myself with anyone in history. No. But. Everybody has that problem. Yeah. If you make your mark early on, you're fucking lumbered with it. Right. I bet fucking Michelangelo say, not another fucking ceiling. <laughs> 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 what, you want the Mona Lisa again? <laughs> or Leonardo? That it doesn't matter. It's sort of, in terms of history, it'll just be a body of work. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I'm probably doing just as, good things now as I'm doing then. I mean, the difference is uh, I managed to get the iconic pictures of lots of those people, like the Beatles and the Stones and whoever. Yeah. Well, if you keep doing it, because no matter if you copy, you end up doing it, it doesn't matter. I mean, some people just only copy. I mean, most photographers just copy, don't they? I see mm. so many copies. And because people getting the picture are young, they don't realize that it's a copy of Helmut Newton. Mm. You know, they go, oh, he's good, but yeah. they think he did it, he didn't, he just copied it. Yeah. And if you're going to copy, you've got to make the copy better, you can't make the copy less good. Yeah. And so I'd hate to try and copy a helmet and make it better, because I think I couldn't do that. Well, listen, thanks for giving us time. Okay, kid. Uh, it's always good to be called kid at whatever age you are. Um, for the very eagle-eared uh, amongst you, you may have heard a little bit of Dylan's tangled up in blue in the background there. And... Um, that's the first time that cameras have been mentioned on this podcast. So um, don't worry, that's not going to become a regular thing. That just happened to slip in there. But I also think it was quite interesting just to, to hear Bailey kind of riffing there on all sorts of different stuff. Hope you enjoyed it too. And I hope also that um, if you are dyslexic, 
that you can take a little bit of kind of um I don't know, positivity about that kind of thing, you know. And uh, I've heard some people saying about, you know, they still feel that it's a, a stigma. I, I really don't feel that's the case, and it shouldn't be the case within um, photography. One of the things that also came up um, when I mentioned dyslexia was a number of people saying, um, you know, why don't you talk also about ADHD and, and other um, kind of situations that people find themselves in from a health perspective from a mental perspective also which is something which I've spoken about in previous podcasts the whole situation with mindfulness and mental health you know the idea as I say each week about the photographic life is that the photographic life isn't just about picking up a camera it's about all different kinds of things and we've been reflecting on that um we'll be returning to the um, what does photography mean to you in in coming months and um, I'm also very excited I suppose I'll announce it although it seems very early as we're only just into November but um, we've organized a special Christmas special which uh, will be going out on Christmas Day uh, with a special Christmas gift who is definitely on Santa's good list so that's an exciting thing um, to look forward to as always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, if it's um, something you feel that someone else might enjoy, please share it um, however you wish to, wish to share it. It's now available on a number of uh, platforms, including iTunes, uh, Podbean, um, Player FM, um, and of course, on the website, www.unitednationsofphotography.com. Also, um, I also realise, and we're a long way into this now, that very rarely do I say who I am. So my name is Grant Scott, if you don't know already. Um, I don't think it's hugely important, but I, somebody else again mentioned it to me that I never introduced the show with my name. So there you go, I'm going to finish the show, this show, this episode, whatever it is, uh, with my name. Okay, well, look, thanks very much for listening. As always, hope you've enjoyed um, this week's podcast and just leaves me to say, uh, take care. <laughs>